Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend, and thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us for this week's best of Sports Business Radio. We're going to look back at several of our favorite conversations from the past few months. In our next segment, we'll hear from two-time NBA MVP Steve Nash of the Phoenix Suns. I had a chance to sit down with him in Beijing, China this past September. He took part in a charitable effort with Yao Ming, Carmelo Anthony, Baron Davis, and Leandro Barbosa. They raised $2.5 million in two days. Nash doesn't do very many interviews, so it was really good to sit down with him and get his take on marketing efforts with this foundation and his social responsibility vastly underrated in that area. That's in segment two. In segment three, you'll hear my conversation with USC head coach Pete Carroll. That took place in Los Angeles in October in his office. The Trojans have had a little bit of a down year, but Pete Carroll, one of the best coaches around, he's enjoyed success at the college and pro levels. We'll get his insights in segment three. In segment four, we'll look back at my conversation with Los Angeles Dodgers owner Frank McCourt. That was in August. McCourt discussed the launch of his new charitable initiative, Think Cure. He also talked about some of his business philosophies. It was an insightful conversation that I think you'll enjoy. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to us on demand anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to these interviews. They're fantastic interviews. Which one is your favorite one? Steve Nash. I, 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 he just does such a great job of explaining all the things he does on and off the court, and it's something we don't get to hear very often. He's a pretty private guy, but uh, just a humanitarian. Yeah, he is a humanitarian, and he doesn't toot his own horn enough, and not that he tooted his horn in this interview, but at least you get a little bit of an insight as to what his life may hold beyond the basketball court and when his career is done. This is a guy doing lots of stuff around the globe with social responsibility with his foundation, and you know I think it was a good insight. USC head coach Pete Carroll, big difference between the pro game and the college game, and I thought he did a great job really outlining the differences and talking about why he's got such a unique situation there in Los Angeles with USC. I'd be surprised as long as the Trojans keep their noses clean to see him coaching anywhere else in the future because he's really the owner, the GM, and the coach of that team in USC. Coming up next, Steve Nash from the Phoenix Suns. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. 
The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. While I was in China recently, I had the opportunity to spend the last two days of my trip following NBA stars Steve Nash, Yao Ming, Carmelo Anthony, Baron Davis, Leandro Barbosa, and Yi Jianlian, as well as the Chinese national team as they raised $2.5 million for several children's charities in China. $1 million was raised at a gala dinner, and another $1.5 million was raised from the charity basketball game. You know, these NBA stars participated with the Chinese national basketball team. It was an amazing effort, especially when you consider the fact that the NBA didn't sanction the game until a few weeks ago. These players flew half a world away to lend a hand, and special thanks should be given to Bill Duffy and BDA Sports for allowing me incredible access to the team bus, the practices, team meals, and the locker room. Bill Sanders, who is a fellow Loyola Marymount alum, uh, was also a tremendous help thanks to Bill. Uh, so we all know what Steve Nash can do on the court as the two-time MVP of the NBA. But the thing some people may not realize is that he's one of the most forward-thinking and socially responsible athletes on the planet today. He's doing incredible things with this foundation, and his charitable legacy will far outlast his NBA career. The main reason I rearranged my travel plans to return from Shanghai to do this interview with Steve Nash in Beijing was because I've wanted to talk to Steve Nash for a long time, I think, He's got a lot going on outside the lines, and we know what he can do inside the lines, but I wanted to talk to him about his charitable foundation and and some of his thoughts uh, with things that he's doing outside of basketball. He doesn't do many interviews as he shies away from the spotlight, and just like on the court, he passes the credit to others. But I was able to catch up with Nash for a few minutes on day two of our trip, the day after that fundraising gala that previous night that raised a million dollars for charity. Our conversation took place as we rode the team bus to the practice at the Chinese basketball training facility. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Steve Nash of the Phoenix Suns. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Steve Nash of the Phoenix Suns, the two-time MVP of the NBA. Steve, last night at the dinner, you told the story of how you became involved with this effort to raise money for several Chinese charities. Uh, can you repeat that story for our listeners? Well, it started uh, with a Chinese-American friend of mine, uh, and we were discussing how with the population's size and the obvious difficulties in servicing all the children in the country, whether it be orphanages, education, health care. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that, you know, millions of children in this country don't see the same opportunity that uh, others do, and especially the, the opportunities we're afforded in North America. So, you know, it felt like... Um, especially with basketball's popularity here and the amount of support we've received from the Chinese people. You know, it felt like something I, I was inspired to do, to come and try to help in some way in this country. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's, it's a testament to you and Yao that several other prominent NBA players, the Chinese national team, they've helped your efforts. Yeah, it's been amazing, you know, to have a, a, you know, a group of guys of the quality of this come over last minute for... Uh, you know, a short trip and, and really lend their hand is just phenomenal. And, and I think it's very difficult to put some of this, one of these things on. And one of the most difficult things is to get guys to to give up some of their time to come all the way halfway across the world. Is 
Very, very impressive and very important to the cause. So these guys all deserve uh, ownership in this as well. What did you think of the reception you received from the Chinese people last night? I thought it was phenomenal. It's amazing, uh, you know, to be uh, so well received on the other side of the world is uh, something that I think um, you you never really can expect or or dream of. It's 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 very very you know uh, humbling and eye opening to realize the importance that they and support that they've placed in the NBA. This is your second trip to uh, China. You said you've been to Hong Kong previously. What are your thoughts of China? I know you haven't had much time to get around, but do you have some thoughts? Well, I'm loving it. It's very enjoyable, first of all. Uh, it's a history lesson. I think what's so fascinating about China is its unique history uh, and ancient history, uh, coupled with the fact that it's now in a time of change. And you know, as it becomes uh, increasingly capitalist, uh, combined with the socialist government or communist government, it's such an interesting time right now. So uh, fascinating culture, fascinating history, and just a, a beautiful experience for all of us. Soccer as they call it, football. Very big over here. I went to Women's World Cup in Shanghai the other night. Uh, I know you have a passion for soccer. Your brother plays soccer. Talk about uh, soccer a little bit. Well, yeah, it's, my, it's a huge pass- passion of mine. I spend a lot of my uh, downtime watching soccer, and uh, in the summer I play, so it is huge for me. And it's a unique country in, here in China in that respect for me, again, because it's two most popular sports, or my two sports, uh, soccer and basketball. So uh, it's an interesting, you know, I don't know if you want to say coincidence or, or similarity that I share with this country, and uh, that also makes it fun for me. Were you ever uh, close to considering maybe pro soccer over pro basketball? Well, as a kid, for sure. I never played. I didn't play basketball until I was really 13 uh, on a team. So, you know, I always wanted to play soccer. and um, You know, but all my friends played basketball when I got to the eighth grade, and I wanted to be with my friends, so I kind of gave soccer up and... You know, I still have a dream of playing pro soccer that's uh, very childlike, but, uh, you know, sometimes you forget that you're an adult now, so I still have the dream and passion for it, even though I know that it's uh, passed me by. You know, watching you on the basketball court, some of your moves look like they're developed from soccer. Is that true? Definitely uh, influenced incredibly by soccer, and I think my game is is definitely influenced by soccer. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily take anything from soccer and consciously put it into my basketball game, but I think just the fact that I was born into soccer and played every day as a kid, uh, you know, can't help but influence the way I play basketball. You're incredibly socially responsible. Um, You have clauses in some of your contracts, for instance, with Clearly Canadian, where they give water to, I think, uh, people in Panama. Where did you develop your sense of social responsibility and, I guess, the ability to see beyond yourself? I don't know. It just feels natural and feels right to have a, a sense of the global community. And uh, I, I just it's, it's a personal thing to me, but I feel, without sounding cheesy, like somewhat of a citizen of the world. And I think that I can relate to people of all different cultures and understand that we all come uh, in the same former our shape with variation and I feel like we should have that sensitivity for one another and realize that you know we're really fortunate for what we're born into but you know it's a very uh, very fine line whether you're born into you know a middle class family in Victoria British Columbia or you're born into you know poverty and hunger in um, you know a countryside town in China so um, you know, that's kind of the way I look at things, and I feel like it's important to have that sensitivity towards one another because you could easily be in another man's shoes. 
Your foundation is growing. You did a charity game in Vancouver this summer. Um, tell me about some of your efforts with your foundation, what you hope to accomplish in the future. Well, there's a lot we want to accomplish. You know, we've got, we now have Steve Nash Youth Basketball going nationally in Canada. We have grant programs in Canada for underserved children. Uh, we also have uh, done water projects, like you mentioned, in Latin America. Uh, we've done a hospital, a neonatal cardiovascular recovery ward in Paraguay. And we're getting, hopefully getting involved in Educare, uh, the Bill Gates platform that's helping uh, at-risk preschool kids and giving them an opportunity to become you know, great students. It's a fantastic teaching model that allows at-risk kids that otherwise have very little chance at, an edu- at success, succeeding in education an unbelievable advantage as far as education. So that's an important platform we'd like to start in, in Phoenix. And then this, this project is outside of my foundation. You know, to come and help China, I, I didn't want to burden my foundation with this much work. And um, But this was, was an idea that I thought was, was worthy, and it's definitely been uh, worthwhile. Uh, Steve Kerr, new general manager of the Phoenix Suns. I've had Robert Sarver on the show a few times. Steve reminds me of you. I mean, you guys are both intelligent ball players. Um, how much interaction do you have with Steve in his new role? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. Steve, you know, uh, reaches out and we talk about things quite a bit in his young career so far. So he's been great to me. He's been really supportive and, and wanted my input. And, you know, it's a. Uh, an exciting time for our club to have someone I think of his intelligence and experience and championship experience in our club. You've added Grant Hill um, seasons coming up quickly. Um, tell me about your thoughts for the upcoming season, if you would. Very excited. That was a very difficult way to lose last year in the playoffs, and I think Grant's a great addition. I think, uh, and as importantly, hopefully, the addition of that experience will be a huge part of our, our success this year and our ability to, to become a championship team so you know, for us I think just being mentally tougher and being a little more intelligent will go a long way Steve uh, you are uh, a phenomenal human being and an athlete and I appreciate you taking a few minutes my pleasure thank you you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. So, Coach, you came here in 2000, and when you came to USC, the program was kind of mired in mediocrity. Obviously, you've done some great things to turn it around. When you first came to USC, what was your vision for this program and to get it to where it is today? Well, we were, we were clear in, in uh, that there was great potential here. 
And uh, so I settled on a thought that we wanted to do things better than it's ever been done before. And we thought that we'd hold on to that in everything that we're doing, whether it was recruiting or teaching or coaching or technology, you know, from A to Z, do it better than it's ever been done before. And so to do that, you have to, uh, you, you know, you have to be relentless. I mean, you, you can't just do that sometimes. You have to do it all the time. So the central theme in our program, which I think represents what I feel most strongly about, is, is competition. And so we created an air of competition in everything that we were doing and, and uh, that would keep us kind of on a, in a pursuit of uh, a competitive edge, you know, just like relentlessly. And so uh, we've, been, uh, we've been on that ever since. It's been a, a, a great charge for us, and, and it's kept us on track throughout. Now, you pursued this job, and you had coached in the NFL. Why did you want to come back to college, and why did you not choose to stay with an NFL job? Well, the... <laughs> The uh, the college season comes up first in coaching, you know, because the, the games are and the seasons are over earlier. And uh, when a couple opportunities were out there, you know, I went after them to see if I could you know, generate some interest. And uh, SC was because of Daryl Gross. I had, had some relationships with uh, him from back in the days as at the Jets, and, uh, and and they were interested. So we started talking, and, and one thing led to another. This is a great program, you know. It's a great school and all of that. It's, it's one of the best in, in the country, uh, you know, historically. And I'm a California guy, and there aren't very many jobs in California. And uh, as we started to you know, put it together and see what it was all about, it just looked to be a great opportunity. I've always wanted to know someone who sits in your seat. You've coached in the NFL. You've coached in college. We've seen guys like Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban go to the NFL. They've had a difficult time. Charlie Weiss is having a tough time at, at Notre Dame right now. What, what is more difficult, coaching in the NFL or coaching in college, in your opinion? I think coaching in the NFL is much more uh, complicated. I, I, th- I think it's the uh, the scrutiny um, that follows you, and, and the um, the speed of the of the evaluation process is just a high speed, and, and uh, you have no time. And I think the tolerance um, by those that follow you that create the momentum for the pressure and the stress and and the uh, uh, you know just the evaluations. Uh, is such that you just have to hit it right or you're done. And uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, just look how many guys have, have been able to sustain. There's very few guys that can maintain the jobs. You know, they, they come and go all the time. And so uh, I think that that causes a lot of problems for you. Uh, if you don't have a quarterback, you're dead, you know, and, and it's, it's some, some really simple issues. And there's not much you can do about it sometimes. Uh, the, the job I found was much more difficult because you had to share the leadership position and, and the philosophical approach to things uh, much more so, which does not at all enhance or behoove the, the job that you're trying to do as a leader of a program or the, the so, so-called leader of the program. When You have to do it the best way that you can, and if, when you're representing other people and other thoughts, it's very, very challenging. It's very frustrating. So this is different here, and, and it's, much, it's a much cleaner line of uh, – of uh, leadership and and, uh, and and authority and all of that, and it's made uh, my job way easier and, and much uh, much more fun, and, and I've enjoyed it a great deal more. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. Coach Carroll, uh, pretend I'm an elite athlete. You're coming into my living room. You're going to be talking to me and my parents. What are the two or three things that you're going to tell me to sell me on USC's football program? Well, the the process of recruiting isn't a one-time sit-down. It, it, it takes a long time to get through the information. But there are a, a few elements that, that 
that we try to, you know, that we consistently return to. This is an extraordinary university. It's a private institution right here in just the, the hotbed of all that's going on in the world of business for the entire Pacific Rim, one of the tremendous uh, media centers of, of the world. Um, and, and it's got so much visibility in, in what you do and what you can create out of here that it's, it's an extraordinary place to go to school. Um, the, the fact that it's a private school is smaller, and, and you know, 16,000 you know, regular students makes this a small campus setting, yet you're still on, playing on a large you know, uh, BCS level of football. Um, the other part of it is that our football has been very successful, and it's been successful, and uh, it gives you the, the players an opportunity to really exercise everything they would ever want to do in the sport. We've reached the, the heights of, of national championships. We've, we've seen our players be recognized nationally with the Heismans and all of the, the national uh, awards that they can, they can, you know, can generate. Uh, we've had... Uh, an opportunity to do all that, but more importantly than just being able to do it, we've done it over a long period of time, and we've been very successful for, for a long haul, which is really you know, part of the fabric of this program. And, and I think the, the final thing is that um, when you're in our program, you're going to be in a program that is designed to try and create this to be an extraordinary experience for you. I don't want this to just be football, you know, and that's it, and I don't want it to just be academics, and that's it. I want it to be all of that, and then much more with the experience of how we go about the things that we do. If we're not having fun, I'm messing it up. I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm not on track. This should be a fun, uh, filled of, of excitement and changes and, and, and new stuff and challenges to, to, uh, to our kids in, in every way, not just on the football field, not just academically, but how they handle themselves and how they deal with the world around them. Uh, so, uh, and then the final thing that, that you know I like to get across is it's not too good to be true. This is really happening. It really is the real deal, and we're doing it for the right reasons and with caring for people and loving them as they go through our program and loving them as they leave and taking care of them throughout. Uh, with I think in a manner that that I know separates us in some degree and I hope makes it a very very unique experience. You've built a tremendous program here. Uh, what are the two to three uh, core philosophies that you have for leadership? You're a tremendous leader. Well, I, I think it, you have to know where you're going and who you are to do this and, and to do it really well. Um, you know, I need to be really consistent about what I represent as the leader of, the, of this program. And in that, I try to model our kids, to our kids, uh, you know, a, a really committed, strong, um, all-encompassing belief about who we are and how we do this. Um, that, that's what's most important. I think when people sense that somebody has a really good feel for who they are and what they're doing, it's easier to listen to them, it's easier to follow them, and then as you build on the successes and you give them the examples of where they can go that are real, real life things, and then they don't question you know, the authority, they don't question the direction, and then they follow and they, they are able to allow themselves to be led. Well, that, that's, that's, I think it comes from a, just a general sense, and I have to do a really good job of staying on task all the time. You know, I just can't ever shut down. I can't ever have a bad day. I can't ever waver from the main line of how we operate and expect them to, to you know, totally commit and be, you know, be thoroughly uh, behind everything that we're doing. So uh, that's with energy. That's with commitment. That's with consistency. That's with uh, making sense to them, doing sensible things. Don't don't throw them curveballs where they don't know what's going on or what's happening, and give them a sense that we're really on course where they don't have to even ever be concerned about that stuff. They just need to excel. Last question. Uh, obviously, you've built something very special here. I know you've had uh, opportunities to go back to the NFL. Is this your dream job, or is there something else out there on the horizon that you'd like to do at some point in your career? Well, I don't, I've thought about it a lot and, and had opportunities to you know, entertain the, the ideas of going 
the makeup of this job is so unique for me that, that I, I don't see anything ever matching it. So in my mind, I've settled my mind clearly that I'm staying here and I don't want to go anywhere else. That the, the makeup is so clean in that it's, you know, I'm in charge of all phases of it. I run the whole thing. I don't have to, you know, defer to anybody to, to, to make a choice on what's going on here. As long as we stay out of trouble, we're, we have no problems. And so uh, that's, that's a very clean slate for me. And there's, there's, there's too much ownership. There's too much uh, uh, kind of leadership already in existence in other, other teams in the NFL that you have to deal with. And, and I, don't, I, I, don't, I know there's no other situation that matches this. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I've said the same thing for seven years, and I'll get asked the same questions again at the end of this year, and I won't have any problem answering because I know, I know clearly what I'm doing. Coach, congratulations on your success, and thanks for taking some time today. All right, you got it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Frank McCourt. He's the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mr. McCourt, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Nice to be with you today, Brian. So, you know, it's a really exciting week for you and the Dodgers family. On Tuesday, you announced the largest charitable campaign by a pro sports team in the city's history. It's called Think Cure. It's a joint effort with the City of Hope and the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. You know, I know your grandfather, Francis, was a co-owner of the Boston Braves. 59 years ago, he helped found the Jimmy Fund. Talk about this effort, if you would. Sure. Well, it's it's a uh, something we're very, very... Um pleased to have just uh, launched and, uh, and uh, I'm very, very uh, proud to be a part of it. Think Cure is a charity. Its um, purpose is to raise money for cancer research, and uh, its mission is to uh, find a cure for cancer. And, and our, our hope, as well as many, many others, is to uh, you know, eliminate cancer uh, as a uh, life uh, taking disease and make it a chronic and manageable uh, disease, and that's why we have great partners in City of Hope and, uh, and Children's Hospital Los Angeles who uh, focus every day uh, with a great deal of passion and energy and, uh, uh, on cancer research. And, and the Jimmy Fund is, is a model that we look to. Uh, this is, uh, it's nice to know that this can work, and you mentioned the humble beginnings of the the Jimmy Fund way back in 1948, and, and uh, now, almost 60 years later, the Jimmy Fund raises over $50 million per year for cancer research, and we hope to be 
able to do the same, if not more, here in Southern California. It's incredibly charitable. Let me ask you this. I used to work for a pro sports team, and I know every single day your organization is getting calls from charitable organizations saying, please let us partner with your brand. How did you ultimately decide to work with the City of Hope and also that cancer research was going to be your focus and not some other worthy charitable cause? Well, that, you know, that's a great question, and, and um, uh, we, we, uh, we're very, very committed to giving back to the community. We have three core values here at the Dodgers. One is uh, championship caliber baseball year in and year out. The second is uh, providing our fans with uh, uh, a superior fan experience. And, and the third is being a model franchise as far as giving back to the community. Um, and on that third point, uh, we have the Dodger Dream Foundation, which is our vehicle for uh, giving back to the community. And, and uh, you know, we're in the yes business, so we try never to say no to anyone. And last year, uh, we partnered with uh, over 3,500 nonprofits in the community. That's our commitment to the Dream Foundation continues. Uh, we will, uh, we're very, very um, committed uh, to that, and, and we expect that our relationships with, with all of uh, greater L.A. and Southern California will continue to grow through the Dream Foundation. But because of the number of relationships we have there, um, you know, there's a limited amount we can do with each of those 3,500 or 4,000 nonprofits. Think Cure is very focused on one thing, and that's finding a cure for cancer. Right. And I'm sorry for the length of my answer, but uh, uh, the, the, we chose cancer uh, for a couple reasons. One is the, the family's history and being involved with the Jimmy Fund, but, but far more importantly, uh, as Jamie, my wife, and I have been here as stewards of the, uh, of the Dodgers, we've really been uh, moved by the stories uh, of others in terms of their fight uh, with cancer and, and touched by the people we've met, quite frankly. And, and cancer is, doesn't discriminate. It touches everybody, directly or indirectly. And I think that uh, that's, that's clearly why uh, we've chosen this particular cause. Thinkcure.org is the website for more information on this new initiative. You personally, your family is matching the first $1 million raised for this initiative. That's obviously super generous of you. Let me ask you this. I, I hear from some people, some sources I have down in Los Angeles, that at the press conference yesterday, you had your ceramic Jimmy Fun piggy bank. Are we going to see a Dodger night where maybe you give away a Think Cure piggy bank so even the kids can put some money away and give to this tremendous cause? Oh, I think that that's a great idea, and, and uh, we should definitely do something like that because I can remember being a little kid and putting my nickel or dime in that sure. bank. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, our, our hope is that our million-dollar gift will be matched by, um, you know, a million people each giving a dollar because it's not, it's not as much – uh, about how much as it, as it is how many. I think if we can empower and, and galvanize the community to uh, to get behind this cause and, and, and really make a difference here, I, I do believe the scientists and the doctors when they say that a, that a cure is um, within our lifetimes, hopefully. It's on the horizon, and whether it's 10 years away or 15 years or 20, it doesn't much matter. I think we're getting closer, and we hope our, our efforts here help accelerate, uh, accelerate us all to the finish line. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're joined on the phone by Frank McCord. He's the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
Mr. McCourt, 2004, you took over the Dodgers. Before you purchased them, they were owned by the Fox News Corp. A lot of fans complained that after years of the team being owned by the O'Malley's, they kind of became corporate and stuffy. I really get the sense that you are going back in the direction that the O'Malley's had with a family-run, real friendly, like you said, every answer is yes type of operation. Is that an accurate assessment? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, it, that's, that, we think, is, is really a fundamentally important core value of our, of our stewardship. It's, it's, baseball is about family, and, and, uh, and it just, you know, corporations are, are really, I mean, I don't have to tell you that the, the capitalist system we have in America is just one of the great systems ever invented, and corporations have their role. But I, I don't think they're at their best when it comes to um, sports franchise ownership. I think uh, sports teams really, they aren't owned. I mean, we don't even own the Dodgers. Uh, the community owns the Dodgers. And, and uh, I think that uh, individuals and families can, uh, because they're part of communities, can relate to that concept far easier than corporations can. And it doesn't make corporations bad. It's just they're not the right vehicle, I don't think, for uh, for sports franchise ownership, particularly baseball teams, which are so embedded in communities. You're in your fourth season now as the owner of the Dodgers. If you had a mulligan on anything you've done in the first four seasons, is there anything you'd do over again? Oh, boy. I, I, um, you know, I, I, I really I don't think so, and I'm not trying to imply I haven't made no, that's great. mistakes because I, I've made some doozies. But I, I do feel that uh, I've learned from my mistakes, and uh, and it's made me a better steward by by uh, by doing different things. I mean, I I'll give you a very trivial example. Uh, um, you know, I had made a decision to take the names off the back of the jerseys, and and the simple message I was trying to send to the to to the Dodger community was that you know, hey, look, we stand for the name on the front of the jersey. Right. It's about team. It's not about individuals and so forth. And and. Um, uh, uh, my wife, by the way, disagreed with that decision completely. <laughs> uh-uh. But, uh, but uh, more importantly, the fans also disagreed. I got a lot of feedback from the fans that they preferred the, the, the names on the back of the jerseys, and and um, uh, and we went ahead and put them back on. I mean, the fans are always right. This is about the fans, and it's it's their team. And and uh, I mean, that won't preclude me from making judgments, and uh, that I believe will will help us achieve our three core values, but. You know we're not going to be right 100% of the time, and and uh, and we'll admit it, uh, uh, and and move on, and correct correct things, and move on. So we've put the names, for instance, back on the jerseys, and and everybody's learned from that, and most importantly, I've learned from that. And and uh, listening to the fans, I think, is is uh, the most one of the most important things I can do. You've obviously been a very successful business person. Uh, now you own the Los Angeles Dodgers. You spent a lot of your time there. Share with us, if you would, two to three of your core business philosophies. Well, our mantra in business is high road, long view. And that pretty much embraces uh, a lot of what we do. I, I think I, I have the benefit of uh, being a, a, someone who, who, who rides on a lot of shoulders before me. I'm in a business that my great-grandfather started in 1893. I represent fourth generation. Jamie and I are blessed with four boys, and they're, they're, um, they've expressed an interest in being involved, so they represent that the older boys are involved, and uh, two younger ones are still in school. So that's, they're representative of the fifth generation, which we're very, very proud of. And so we have the, the, um, uh, the privilege, I, I, I really think it is, to look at things 
in a, it, with a longer-term horizon. And I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of the, you know, the quarterly returns and the and the stock prices and so on and so forth that drive um, uh, some some of the shorter-term thinking that we see um, out there. And and so, um, you know, and my folks taught me, as, as Jamie's hers, to just you know always take the high road on things and and uh, think and and situations would work out. And that's so it's high road, long view is, is, is our mantra. And um, I do think the other, the other uh, important um, thing is to, is to have a vision and uh, be able to clearly articulate it and, and, uh, and fine tune it and, and edit it as, as, as you talk about it with people and, and they, they make it their own so that everybody comes around a cohesive vision. And then lastly, but certainly not least, get the people, in, that's the people uh, who can make the vision a reality, uh, find them, uh, get them involved, empower them to do their job and get out of their way. That's and great, great advice. In my opinion, you have one of the most diverse fan bases in sports right there in Southern California. I saw earlier this season you reached the 175 million mark. So, in other words, there's no team in U.S. sports history that has drawn more fans than the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I don't want to, um, I, I, I do want to talk about that, but I don't want to do it in any way that, that somehow um, uh, is, is negative about fans of other franchises. You know, sure. One, one, we have there's some great franchises in, in, in sports here in, in America and, and, and uh, they have, and in other parts of the world, they have great fan bases as well. But I do think it is significant. That the, the that Dodger fans can boast uh, that their team uh, has had more fans come watch it play than any sports franchise anywhere in the history of sports. Uh, that's a very very significant accomplishment, uh, and uh, we did have the chance to celebrate the 175th million fan coming through the turnstiles, and and the fans are coming out in record numbers, and that's what really drives. This franchise, and quite frankly, I think distinguishes it in many ways. But it's also not just the numbers of fans. It's also the diversity of our fan base. Um, our fans are from all walks of life. Uh, they represent every, uh, every different ethnicity, culture, race, creed uh, in this great country. And, and uh, they really are the face of L.A. And I think the biggest single asset of this organization, uh, bar none, is our fans. Mr. McCord, we've got time for just a few questions. Uh, I attended college in Los Angeles. I went to Loyola Marymount. One of my favorite things to do was listen to Vin Scully call a game on the radio. I think there's, there's not a radio broadcaster alive that can paint a portrait on radio like Vin Scully. Talk about Vin Scully's place in Dodgers lore, if you would. Well, it's, it's, uh, I, I think he, he, he personifies the Dodgers. I mean, I think if you looked at, um, you know, if you... If you looked up the Dodgers in a dictionary, you know, right. you picked up the dictionary and you'd say the Dodgers, it would talk about class, uh, dignity, uh, compassion, generosity, uh, winning, uh, and so forth. But then there'd be a picture of Ben. And he, I think, really personifies the, the, the Dodgers. I think in, in many ways he's the most popular Dodger of all time. And there have been great Dodgers who put the uniform on. And I, and, um, but I think Vin, in people's minds, is is their their friend. Uh, he's he's their he's the person who's you know they've invited into into their living room every night or vice versa, and they're comfortable with him. And he never he gives it to them straight. And and uh, 
you, you mentioned the word, uh, uh, you know, paint a picture. I mean, right. there, there are different types of artists, and there are those that use a brush and they paint uh, beautiful uh, portraits or landscapes or whatever, and there are others that are uh, use a pen and are poets and write great prose or poetry. And, and uh, Vin uh, is, is an artist. He really uses words uh, to convey uh, uh, images and to, uh, to really bring the game to life and, and, and bring life to the game. Last question for you. Pretend you're just a baseball fan for a minute, if you can, if you're able to do that. Who's your favorite baseball player of all time, Dodgers or otherwise? Oh, boy. I, I think it would be very, very difficult for me to, to, uh, to answer that question, and I'm sorry to sort of take a oh, that's a okay. pass on it. I, I just, um, you know, if, if, um, uh, if, if I were to, 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 to think about being a, um, a kid again right. uh, and, and growing up in Boston and, and you know, my, my, uh, my grandfather's uh, graves had, 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 uh, uh, had left for Milwaukee by the time I was born, I grew up a Red Sox fan, I... I think I was impressed um, with Carl Yastrzemski because of his uh, longevity with the team. I think that that sort of um, loyalty and commitment to the team uh, and the team to the player sort of um, struck me as, as, as a very solid, positive thing. Um, and, I mean, he was also a great player and so forth, but it was really more that the, the loyalty factor, I think. And, and uh, so... If I were to think of players, um, you know, I sort of, in a couple of great players were just inducted into the Hall of Fame, and they were Absolutely. both players that were they're with their team for the duration of their career. I, 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 I'd like to see more of that uh, as we move forward because I think that the bond between fan and team is the critical bond in 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 in, uh, in sports and in baseball in particular, and that bond is uh, created uh, by individual players who put on the uniform. And, and uh, one of the great things about the Dodgers right now is we have young players who are growing up, you know, right before our fans' eyes, and they're, they're beginning to develop a relationship with these players and hopefully vice versa. So I, I really think that Yaz um, would come to mind for that reason, but it also he's really symbolic of the type of player and the type of situation that uh, I, I think is most appealing uh, and something I hope we're headed towards with the Dodgers. Well, Mr. McCord, again, hearty congratulations on the Think Cure campaign. For more information on the Think Cure campaign, go online to thinkcure.org. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Mr. McCord, best of luck. I really appreciate you making time for us this week. It was my pleasure. Thank you for your time. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. All too often, great ideas from the boardroom go unrealized. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every week on Sports Business Radio, I talk to owners and high-level executives who are responsible for overseeing multi-million dollar businesses. And guess what? Sometimes they can't achieve everything they'd like to on their own. That's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping senior-level executives realize their potential and meet their business objectives. Sockeye Inc. is a strategic consulting firm that advises executives on three primary issues, business development, corporate social responsibility, and project management. Whether it's providing a critical outside perspective or if it's just making sure your project is delivered on time and within its budget, 
Sakai Inc. is the company to turn to. As a high-level executive responsible for making key decisions every day, you need trustworthy counsel that will help make your great ideas a reality. To learn more about Sakai Inc. strategic consulting services, visit SakaiNorthwest.com or call Sakai Inc. founder Joe Vaughn at 503-780-3032. This is Greg Oden, the number one pick, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We are back with this last segment of this edition of the best of Sports Business Radio. The last two weekends of December, we're going to unveil our top 20 sports business stories of 2007. The weekend of December 22nd, 23rd, will feature stories 20 through 11. And then the weekend of December 29th and 30th, we will unveil 10 through number one, our top sports business story of 2007. If you want to weigh in with suggestions for stories you think we should consider for this list, drop us a note, info at sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, last year, the number one story was performance-enhancing drugs in sports, whether it was the Tour de France, what's going on in baseball. This year, I think you've got to put Michael Vick at the top of the list. He may not be the number one story, but I'd look for him to definitely be in the top ten. Obviously, the recent indictment of Barry Bonds is going to be in that mix, and Bonds is the all-time home run king. You know, Alex Rodriguez signed a big contract recently, 10 years, $275 million, the biggest contract in team sports history. That'll probably also be in the mix. But, you know, it's going to be hard to pick out just 20 stories because there have been so many, so many this year. Well, yeah, and, you know, we got to throw some feel-good stories in there, and we will, but uh, it's just been shadowed by this whole year of, of just Michael Vick and scandals and steroids. Tim and Donaghy Tim with Donaghy, the NBA. Marion Jones recently. I mean, it's just on and on again, but uh, there's some feel-good ones in there. Tell me one. Roger Federer. <laughs> Roger Federer is unbelievable. There's a feel-good story for you. Tiger Woods. That's right. Signs a huge deal with Gatorade. Yeah, you're right. Now, there's some good ones out there, and, and we will find them. I uh, want to thank our guests looking back on the best of sports business radio, Steve Nash, Pete Carroll, Frank McCourt, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Sockeye Inc., a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to SportsBusinessRadio.com and clicking on the podcast page. Enjoy this Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.